Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show is going to be very interesting, whether you're a man or a woman or even a child. You should be able to get something out of tonight's show, which is dealing with uh, minhagim, different customs, mostly around Kashrus, but other areas as well. And I think it'll be a very interesting show. But before we begin, let me give, an, give you an opportunity, if you'd like to call in, uh, the telephone number here at the, sh- at the studio, 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. Or the text line, 347-927-8398. Uh, besides, before we start, I want to mention... Something uh, that's interesting because uh, I'm often asked, next time that you're doing a program, a new program for Kashrus, let me know about it. So I'm letting anybody who's listening right now know about our new program, which we, uh, and I don't know if you know that we give shiurim during the week and on Sunday. I have, uh, right now, this is the fourth, we're going to have four different programs learning your idea, leading to smicha, and we also have on Sunday... Uh, Shiurim on Hilchas Brachos and Hilchas Shabbos. So altogether, it's a pretty packed week. Uh, but the the new program is starting tonight. The show is over at seven, and I get a quick bite. And by eight thirty, I'm in the base medrash, and we're starting a new group tonight uh, on learning Yeridea. We're starting with Hilchas Basa B'cholav, which is the most popular and the most use, usable part of uh, Kashrus. That's everybody seems to want to have that for sure. So if you have a son, a husband, uh, an uncle, a grandfather, anybody you'd like, you send them over to 1114 uh, Avenue O. That's 1114 Avenue O. That's between East 12th Street and Coney Island Avenue. That's Abraham's uh, Minion, and it's the it's one flight up. So again, 1114 Avenue O, starting tonight, every Monday night. Uh, we're learning Hilchas Bosa B'cholov. If you have a Yoridea, bring it along. If you don't, we'll have to supply you with one from the shul. In, in, in any event, it starts 8.30, and we go till 9.45. At 9.45 is a minion. So you get two for one. You get the Shia, you get Torah, and Tefillah. Both things. Uh, we've, 9.45 is the Marev, and we start at 8.30, the Shear. The Shear is given in a style we call Chabura style, where people ask questions, we take, we entertain the questions, we get involved in different topics. It's a, an active program, it's not just a, a lecture. And I would like to know also, I'd like these programs to be more interactive. That's if you'll call in at 718-683-5858, we'll be able to talk with you as well. Uh, but until that point, I'd like to uh, sh- uh, share with you our topic tonight, which is the Indian of, of Minhagim. I, actually, I'm uh, plagiarizing, so I'll give credit where credit is due. We have, uh, there's a wonderful gentleman, uh, Rabbi uh, 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 Leibowitz. Uh, he uh, works for the Kuf K, and he puts out a, uh, a series of of uh, books, actually, well, articles, and then they became books, halachically speaking. So uh, his, his uh, Leibovitz, Rabbi Moshe Leibovitz, L-E-B-O-V-I-T-S, 
And you can look it up on the web if you want to. It's uh, called Halachically Speaking. The, halachically is C-A-L-L-Y. Halachically Speaking. And the topic that we're talking about is because differing customs between husband and wife. Now, this is one of the most interesting, and, and uh, I, I found it fascinating. I didn't know a lot of the things that he mentioned, and I looked up some of them as well in the different forum that he mentioned. Uh, the, the first topic is like this. Where do we begin with uh, the husband and the wife? So maybe we're supposed to let the, would you like the minig or would you like the minig? Maybe we should have an option and we should be an optional thing. Or maybe we should be that everybody should do their own thing. This is America. Do your own thing. Everybody should be able to express themselves, to do what they like. So let the husband have one minig and the wife have another minig. And I got news for you. If you do that, then your children will have other minhagim too. They will not do the minhagim, not of the father, not the mother. Or some will side with this and some will side with that. They'll get up the kiddish and the one kiddish will be said this way and one kiddish will be said that way. It'll be, as we say, la yehudim. It'll be different ideas for everybody. And the Torah tells us Lois is going to do. We shouldn't have a goodness, a goodness. There shouldn't be different practices. It's confusing. It's, it's not appropriate. In every community, there should be one standard. And in a, in a family, there has to be one way or else the kids are going to get confused. One of the problems that we have today is that father and mother are doing two separate things and holding differently. If you, if you can't get, uh, if you can't get a father, let's say, to, uh, to give you what you want, maybe mother will. Or maybe if your mother's tough, maybe you go to the father. So there'll be a breakdown. And that's part of, the problem today. It's only a small part of it, but this is part of the problem today that uh, people are finding those ways of breaking it down. In the good old days, mother and father were on the same team, and that was it. Now, the same thing happens if they see Minhagim and it's confusing, then in the end, they're going to go uh, their own way, and they're not necessarily going to follow what uh, the two of you are trying to do. So it's very important that husband and wife are on the same page, and that they do the same Minhagim. Now, it'd be, so it's disruptive to a marriage if they're different men hug him, and also each toka gufo, and therefore it really has to, it's also worked not just what the children will see, not just that, but the husband and the wife have to feel that they are working together as a unit when they're talking, training their kids, when they're, when they're making decisions, whether it's money or something else, they have to feel themselves that they're working together. And if it's different men hug him, it does get confusing. So in a case, uh, of course, a woman is used to dominating in a certain way, but okay, but she has to go, uh, go along with the husband's way. Now, and the, uh, does, is it, is it, does a woman have to follow her husband? So basically the answer is yes. She, she gets married, she has to follow them and hug him of her, of her husband. This is mentioned in a number of svarim, but Moshe has, uh, two chubas in it, uh, three chubas on it. There's Yesodia Yeshurin, and Minchas Yitzchak, Yabiya Omer, 
Nita Gavriel, Halichos Beisa, Badam Chavivim, Imri Boruch, the number of Svarim that bring down that the, that, that is the way that the husband, the wife is supposed to follow the husband. And the question comes up when she has to start following his menhagim, and the answer is from the marriage. Now that's important, I'm not going to get into the details, because there are certain preparations for marriage that a woman, when she's doing it, she does it, could do it according to her own customs, and later on, when they are married, they, she has to follow his menhagim. That's our understanding. Uh, now, Let's say the husband, Chas Shalom passes away. So does she follow his minhagim? So uh, if she doesn't have any children, uh, and uh, she can go, she goes back to her old father's uh, minhagim. That seems to be, uh, it's mentioned Yabiya Omer, and uh, also I think Halichas Beisel, but definitely Yabiya Omer, it says that if she doesn't have children with her husband, he passed away, she goes back to her father's minhagim. Uh, but otherwise, she could continue to follow his ways, even though maybe she's going home, living with her parents, but still in all, really she could continue to follow his ways, and some people paskin that she continues to follow the ways, the Tashbait says that. So that issue, Chas V'Sholem, and when it comes to that level, let them ask a Shaila, but if they want to, they could definitely do either way, seems from from the way we, 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 we're seeing it presented over here. Now, here's one of the topics that's taken up, which is, I think, one of the most crucial ones in the whole topic of Minhagim, and it's what men and women should think a lot about, chumras. There's a, a chumra means to add something on astringency, something that you don't have everybody doing, it's not a hundred percent required. It's not a halacha. Even not the minig of the makom. It's not a real minig. But this is the way we do it. So this is the way we do as a chumrah because apiyalacha. Maybe you don't have to do that. So you want to do that. That's a chumrah. That's something you took upon yourself. So the man takes on a chumrah. Very, very nice. Now, does the wife have to do it too? So this is a problem. Sometimes the problem comes up where people about tshuva, and uh, you know they go through life. They went to yeshiva, they learn more Torah, Baruch Hashem. They open the sefer, they learn Yehudaya, they learn Arachayim and Evanezah, and they, they want to introduce certain things in their life. It's a very nice thing. It's not wrong. It's nothing to be uh, afraid of. Uh, you definitely have a right to add on chumras if it's if you're ready for it. First of all, chumras is, is no backsliding. It's supposed to be no Indian giving. If you're taking on the chumra, follow through. Okay? But then what about your wife? So a person has to realize that the chumra, the man takes on a chumra, could be the woman takes on a chumra, but if a man takes on a chumra, it's his, not his wife's. When he got married, that's when the the game started. So she knew when they were going out that they didn't eat chal of stam. So she knew that now she's going to have to keep chal of Israel. So she can't sneak in a Hagen Daz and you know and put it in the freezer. That's not the that's not appropriate. You know, uh, he he wants to raise a house with I have a house which is Chal of Israel. He wants to raise children like Chal of Israel. That's his choice. They got married. They, she knew about it before, and he has his minhagim, and and that's part of the game. But if she took if he took the chumrah on later, 
He never dreamt about Chal Yisrael. But then the rabbi is, is giving speeches, and he's getting a little from the, the man himself, and getting a little older. He wants to he wants to go for the for 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 this chumra. Very nice, but does he, can he throw it on the wife? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Here's what it says in the in the little article that I have over here, from halachically speaking, from Rabbi Leibovitz. Many men have certain stringencies which they have accepted throughout different stages of life. The question arises whether the wife needs to adopt these stringencies as well. For example, if the husband is stringent with Chalvius Stam, waiting 72 minutes after Shabbos, or not relying on certain hashkachas. <coughs> you see, he got, he got a little frum in the hashkachas. Does she need to follow suit? The postkim say that the following, that following the stringencies of one's husband, is not required. You do not have to follow the chumas of your husband. Now, he brought here some very important uh, sources, and I lo- I'm going to quote one in a minute. Yalkut Yosef in Orachayim, uh, 318.12. Igris Moshe, which I'm going to read in a minute. Shevet Halevi, uh, which is 3.129. And Sinai, which is a, uh, a, a journal, uh, he has it also in the Shraga HaMeyer also has it. So anyway, the, I'm interested in this Igris Moshe because that's the one I had sitting in my house. And uh, in Igris Moshe, Evan HaEzer, the second chelek uh, at Tshuva Yud base. Very interesting Tshuva. I'm going to share it with you. I mean, can't read the whole thing. It's too long. <laughs> that they'll show. So, so the, Rav Moshe was asked the question about whether or not the wife is allowed to wear a shaitl. Whether or not the woman is allowed to wear a shaitl. The husband does not want her to wear a shaitl. He wants a covering that's of a different nature. He feels that the the hair looks too much like her own hair, and he doesn't want her wearing a shaitl. And she, he's a rov, and she's a rabbanit. You know, she's a rabbanit. She's a rabbitson. And uh, he doesn't want her wearing a, a shaitl. So Rav Moshe says, he says, basically he took this man and he said, you know, you shave, whether it's a ray, with, a, with an electric razor or with something else he puts there. That's a question of Marisayan. Maybe you are using a, 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 you're using a shaver. It's a Marisayan Shiloh. And, and you're worried about the Marisayan that people are going to think that this is her, this is her real hair. In reality, it's not her real hair. So basically, in the end of the tshuva, I'm just going to be a few lines, but it's really a good tshuva if you get a chance to look. Evan Ha'ezah Chalik Beis, Simon Yud Beis, Be'inian Pei Anochris. Ulachin Ladina. Because the, the man, the, the rabbi who came, he said he asked the, Rabbi Moshe the Paskin. He, he, he asked the Nishalti, Mary Sechoha Rabbanis, Raya Sechoha Rabbanis. Oh, actually, she asked it. My, you know, the Rebbezin asked whether or not, uh, she wants to know what her opinion, his opinion is about whether or not it's appropriate to, to her to wear the, the, the shaitl, even though the husband would prefer she doesn't wear a shaitl. So he said, Lechain Ladina. Ein keser rabenu yacholim chos biyad ishto harabanis hachashuva melalabesh peyanochris. You can't be makpid that your wife, the Rebbitzin, does not wear a shaitl. 
Sha'af im kesara Rabbeinu Rotzella Hachmir, even though you want to be Machmir, any Achol Hatil Chumrosov Aleho. You can't take your Chumras and put them on her. Shezehu Rak Din Shalom. The Shaital is her Chiyuv. It's not your chiyuv; it's her chiyuv. The kavit shehio saw kedin. She's doing what the halacha is. Shahu kerov hapoiskim. Not saying there's nobody who does says not to wear a shaitel. I'm not saying there's no one who says to cover up a shaitel. No one's. There's not saying that the, 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 a, a lot of people do not allow do not wear shaitlach because they because of uh, religious concern. We're not saying not. There, it isn't uh, appropriate to, to not wear a shaitl, to wear something in, to cover the hair completely with something else, a snood or whatever. But not saying that that's not an, uh, an, an option or something that's recommended. All Rav Moshe is saying is it's not kirov hapoiskim. Rov poiskim allow a shaitl. Vishagam nira kemoisim. Eina yachola hachmir aleha. He can't be machmir on his wife. Even if she doesn't cover the, the shaitl, because some of the people in the Hasidic world, for example, they cover a shaitl with like a little uh, hat on top of the shaitl or something else on top of the shaitl, so that this way it's covered, you have double coverage. The, this way, if even, even if they think that it's really your own hair, at least you're not wearing nothing. You're wearing something on your head. All right, whatever that is. The And she's willing to wear a covering on the top of it. She's willing to cover the majority of the shaitl. You shouldn't bother her. You should leave her alone. And in Kesar Rabbeinu, who mispa'rayim, and if you happen to use, uh, you, you use uh, scissors, and you use, uh, electric razors, and you, and, and you do, uh, and you put, uh, some kind of cream or whatever it is they put on powder to, to remove the hairs of the beard, and you're not worried about Maris Ayn for you. So you shouldn't be throwing on her a chumra about not covering, about not wearing a shaitel. It's like you're denying your own Understanding that it's not a maris ha'ayin, because most people, when they get close to you, will realize you really didn't use that, or they'll they'll realize that you're from person that wouldn't ever do with it, use a razor. So this woman also, they they realize she's a rebbitzin, she's wearing sneezer clothing, and 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 when they if they don't, if the men don't know, so when they get a little closer, they don't know, and if they don't know, the women know. So it doesn't it's not. I don't have to be worried about crazies. I don't have to go to that extent. If I'm doing kalacha and there's, there's basically not a marisa ayin, it's just some people might misunderstand. I don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Okay? So in other words, he's saying that a it's her mitzvah, and it's not going to be misunderstood. And B, uh, you are living a life where you're not really worried about the Maris Ha'ayin so much either. So 
don't put this on her. But however you learn the tshuva, it doesn't really matter too much. The main point is that Rabbi Moshe is telling you that that there's a concept that you don't have the right to throw on the woman your chumras. And it's he only gave that example. He didn't give the you know ten examples. But we at least see that the idea that if you want to take on a chumrah, it's your choice. But it doesn't mean she has to. If she wants to, and you can convince her, you can talk to her about it, you have agreement, fine. But if not, it becomes your personal chumrah. Masha'en came when you get married. Because when you get married, she's supposed to take on your minhagim. And by that time, it's already called a minig. It's not called a chumrah. The way you live, that's what you way you live. If you don't want certain hashgachas in the house, she can't sneak them in and say, "Well, I still have a big tithe. I have a big tithe for it. I'm used to those foods. I can't give them up. I don't want to give it up." That's not right, because you're making a, you're making a, a mess of the family. Now, if there's certain things that she said, I, I she told her husband before, I'm not gonna. I can't take these things things on. So, all right, then. There's an agreement. He has a right to say, okay, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to do that. That's okay. But the, this is something, if, if you're having trouble with it, <laughs> before you're married, having trouble with it, discuss it with a rov. If you, if you want, if you want the, simple, the simple approach, the simple approach is seichel, derech eretz, understanding, First of all, when you, if she likes you, she's going to go, want to be somewhat like you. And she wants to bring the kids up in the normal way where everybody is agreeing on everything. The, re, the way she, what, the reason she might be more interested in holding on to her old ways is because she doesn't feel that, that you're, you're joining each other too well, uh, in, in the, the, the communication is a little weak or else, uh, you know, uh, you, you don't seem to be understanding her in some ways. So, so she doesn't necessarily want to throw in and do everything exactly like you. So whatever halacha requires, she'll do. But if she doesn't require it, she won't do it. Okay. So that's something the man has to work on in, in his relationship with his wife. But as far as, uh, but as far as she's concerned, she should be interested in shalom bias, education of the children, being on the same page with her husband. And can she live with this thing? Not the end of the world. It'll be, it'll make more shalom bias. However, if he, he wants to grab a new chumrah, that's something you're going to really have to discuss with a rov. It's not something you can put on the wife. I know that's confusing in a family, but a lot of people understand that. And and, and a lot of times the father could say, you know, listen, uh, you know, they can make a joke about it and everybody's happy and, and you don't put it on everybody else in the family. Fathers also shouldn't put it on their children. When they take on chumras, they've got to be very careful. Even if the wife wants to accept it, what about your older children? They're 14, 15 years old. And you, that's how you came up with a new chumra. We're no longer allowing this. Very nice, but what about your fifteen-year-old daughter? You know, don't they have to be uh, a little, a little seichel when you take on a chumrah that you're not hurting anybody and that there's some kind of a uh, an agreement in the family? Just to explain to them how stark the rov spoke on Shabbos is not necessarily enough of a reason for everybody to take it on. Now, one of the most common things is the nusach Ashkenaz, nusach Sfard, uh, husband and wife marry, so then basically, in most cases, the woman does take on davening like the husband. If the husband wants to be Michael, 
he's allowed to let her continue to daven the nusra she was brought up in. That's what it says in a sefer called Halicho Shlomo. However, I happen to, I happen to personally think that it's very confusing. One of the f- nicest things that I've seen in families, young families, is is the is the wife. I mean, the husband is out working; he's learning Baruch Hashem. Wherever he is, the woman is in the house, and I see the kids, the woman teaching brachos, teaching tefillah to the children. Well, she doesn't have a sitter in front of her; she's just saying it, and she's. He's training that child. I mean, I have seen some beautiful brachos made by children. I can't even believe it myself, how slow and careful and perfect the words are in these little, little kids. That's, that's the mother. That's, that is the mother. I don't care. Listen, I love the, the men, but that is the mother. The mother drummed those brachos into the kid. Now, if the mother's davening A and the, and the father's davening B, then it's going to get a little confusing in in the training uh, for for different for different part, parts of the davening and benching and whatever it's going to get a little bit confusing and it's a little hard to do and also the girl boy they see the mother's davening from some sitter and the, the father says no that's not, that's that's uh that's that's mommy's sitter you know like it's some kind of trafer thing or whatever it is not not like the rest of us use no that's only mommy's sitter so that's not not a good not a good way to have in the family maybe it's mutter but i would strongly advise that people do daven the same way Although I always felt strange when my daughters, uh, you know, took on to daven in a different way, and most of them changed. But that seems to me that, uh, as far as a family goes, it's very, very important. And uh, I got all those sidurim and machzorim now in my house. A woman's. It's important that there shouldn't be. There should be peace in the house. A woman's practice, which does not interfere with the shalom bias, may be continued if she desires. One example is making a bracha on a lulav on sukkahs. Some Sephardim don't make a bracha on the lulav on, uh, on sukkahs if the woman doesn't make the, the takes the, but the Ashkenaz does. So some people permit the woman to continue doing that. I, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, the Selah Harav he quotes here, I don't know, it seems to me again, whatever the Minhagim of the, of the father in the house has to be really, it really should be the same but certain things, that, the point is you can't say that a woman can't continue her Minhagim if the husband is willing to let her continue some of her Minhagim, then she'll feel a little bit better Okay, but you gotta be uh, careful that it doesn't share the Chinuch Abonim now uh, if a woman continues following her father's customs when she got married because the husband was Michael and now she wants to switch and follow her husband's customs, does, what is, what's the story? So the answer is she needs to be Matya Neder. To accept his, uh, Minhagim, I don't think she has to be Matya Neder because that's, that's the halach, the minhag of, uh, that we have the women switches, but as far as uh, but as far as if she decides to switch and follow his minhagim, he was moichel. She shouldn't have to do it now. He wants to she wants to switch and be like her husband. Then she has to be matinedah. Then he discusses the kidneyus on Pesach. Oh, that's the most famous question that everybody has. A woman comes from the Sephardic background. She ate kidneyus. She ate rice. She checked it seven times. 
and she's marrying an Ashkenazi, what can we do? Sometimes it happens, right? <laughs> but if the husband agrees, can she f- continue to use the rice? So, uh, you know, I, again, I wouldn't uh, advise that, but uh, if the husband agrees, he says over here, Rabbi Leibowitz says that you could continue to eat rice. If an Ashkenazi woman gets married to a Sephardi, so he wants to have rice. So the answer is she can eat kidneys. And it, she doesn't have to eat matineda because she accepted the, the, when she got married, it, it, it goes with the flow. But uh, she can't be forced to eat it, though. And she's, but she has to be able to cook it for her husband. So this is what some women do. And I don't feel there's anything wrong with that. I, I'm, I'm good with that. And I feel that, you know, you have to be, you have to be sensitive. In a certain sense, in the, in the Ashkenaz world, it, you know, it was brought up, we, the Ashkenaz girl was brought up. You don't eat rice in Pesach. Now, it wasn't chametz, but you don't eat rice in Pesach. So it's had a, a, a sound like it's forbidden. So whether you switch the Nusach from Ashkenaz as far or vice versa, they're all good drachim. It's all tefillah. You don't say either way. You don't, don't make a big deal about that. But if a person feels strange eating the rice, I don't know if you have to say, why not? You're a Sephardi now. Okay, you're a Sephardi. You're going to raise Sephardi as your children. No question about it. But there's nothing so terrible if mom, mom doesn't eat the rice. That's that's what it says in some Sephardim. He quotes over here, uh, Seder Pesach Kilchasa and Mitzvah Avrech. Okay, whatever, whichever swarm they are, uh, we understand. Not doing something anybody could not eat. You don't feel well, you don't want to eat, you know, you're not in the mood, I'm stuffed. You can't say to somebody, you must eat the rice. Well, it's not like, eat your peas, eat your spinach. <laughs> We're not talking, this is a woman, that she's running the house, and if, if she could eat whatever she wants. So I don't think that it's a it's a problem if she says I should eat it if she uh, whatever if it, oh it touched my food okay that she shouldn't go with sugar because because I'll be a luck it's not going to make that difference for her but but to say that she has to eat it I think it's nice if 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 that is literally something one of those things that we uh, leave a little bit open and if the woman has a concern and if the husband isn't uh, Meshuggah on, on this one thing and think it's so terrible for she doesn't eat right in front of him. You know, if he's, he is that way, so then she probably should do it. But if not, you know, let her let her be this way. I had a story. I told this story here on the radio. I didn't even believe it myself, but it was, it was so weird. This woman called me up, and she was all upset that Joiva uh, products for Pesach had a hashkocha from an Ashkenaz rabbi, and it clearly uses kidneys, and he has written on there that he holds the kidneys as all right for for an Ashkenaz, and it, all year round it's under the hashkocha the kafke, and Pesach they won't do it because the company only wants to use his kidneys, and they can't do it. So for Pesach they take their hashkocha off, and this other rabbi gives the hashkocha. And actually, it's really under the, under the Kafka because they have to make sure everything's proper. But they don't give the certification for Pesa because they don't give a certification on kidneys. So technically, they're not, not the Rabbana Hamach Shirim, and this one rabbi is. This woman was livid about this. 
she ate it. She didn't know. And, and it was kidneys. Oy vey! She went on and on and on and on. And I was talking to her a while and she says, well, you know, I'm not kosher. What? I'm not kosher, but I keep Pesach. Oh, come on. Her eating kidneys on Pesach, reform lady eating kidneys on Pesach was like, like eating chazir to me. I don't know, she may eat chazir, but her eating kidneys on Pesach is like a via vos the worst thing in the world. But I'm trying to bring the story is that there's a sensitivity. And if the woman does have that degree of sensitivity, Halakha doesn't say she can't switch and eat the rice. She can. But if she doesn't want to, that's a sensitivity. And we see that people, and from the story that I'm telling you, that people could be very sensitive about this thing, don't eat this on Pesach, it's, even though it's all psychological. Because in, in Halacha, it doesn't have the strength of what I'm just, of, of, of anything of Chametz of, of Chas Shalom. It's, it's the minhag of the, of the Ashkenaz world, that we don't, that we don't eat kidneys. Okay, there could be, yeah, years ago when, uh, basically, with the, with the, with the Svartim do that I know, they take the rice, and they check it seven times, or three times, whatever they do, and it's, it, there's nothing there. And they sell rice now that's, that, that's run, done properly, and quinoa is done properly, and this, they're doing a lot of stuff today. It, it isn't so, uh, it isn't, I mean, the things that are sold with real good ashkocha for Pesach, it's not the end of the world. But if, for rice, I'm saying, but if the woman does have that sensitivity, so the man should be nice. The man should be understanding. His wife, <laughs> it bothers his wife. She looks at it and she's going crazy every year. So, have Rachmanis. Remember the story about this, about this reform lady. And we'll understand that the people could be sensitive. Now, uh, if an Ashkenaz Jew finds himself in a Sephardi home on Pesach, so the halacha is he, he may eat food that was cooked in pots that were used for kidneys. Uh, others say that one can be lenient only if the pot was Eno Ben Yomo. There's a little split here. Um, it, it says, it says, uh, that this, that this, uh, okay. He brings a, a, quite a few swarm, and I'm not going to go into them. But basically, some of the Yashiv, it seems, was Makpid that the kidney should be Eno Ben Yomo, and the part of the kidney should be Eno Ben Yomo, and then it was used for, for Nashkenaz. But, uh, but really, Al Piyalacha, it would be even any kidney's part is not going to make anything Chomet stick for Pesach, any issue for, for Nashkenazi. Okay, Gabrachs. Gabrachs is one of those areas that also drives everybody crazy. It's very common for a husband and wife to come from two different families. One ate the uh, gabroks and one didn't eat gabroks. One uh, made kneidlich, uh, you know, matzah balls and put it into the soup and the other one wouldn't. So there's different opinions. So the question arises where the wife gets married, does she have to follow her husband's custom in this, in this matter? The consensus of the poiskim is that the wife should follow the custom of her husband. And there's no need for her to be Matin Neder because that's, that's the, uh, what, uh, the requirement that she follow her husband. So therefore, she's not really changing. She's just doing what the Allah says to do. So since she didn't know that she will, 
who she was going to marry when she was single, she never accepted her father's minig, her minhagim upon herself, because she might marry an Ashkenazi, or might marry this, or might marry that. So therefore, she has no need to take make a matin nether, because she never really made a nether. She's just waiting for the guy to come around. But if her husband, if her husband wants, he can let her follow her father's minig, and I suppose he could still allow the 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 gabrachs. But he doesn't eat gabrach, so she's got to be careful not to gabrach, not to have matzah balls, not to take matzah and cook it in any fashion in in things that he's that she's doing for him in the house for, for his pesa. And of course, it mixes up the house. And we and we had the reverse situation. We had uh, where uh, my wife and I uh, used to gabrach. I mean, in the good old days. But then uh, we we intermarried, means that uh, my my daughters married boys who don't gabrak, so we have them coming to the house. So we had to get rid of the kneiluch. So now we don't have kneiluch. We have we have sons-in-law and, and grandchildren, Bar Hashem, because we don't. Because but if you want to be, if you want to have your kneidel, you can sit alone on on, on Pesach. You and your wife can sit alone. And the, the other ones will enjoy their families and their houses. But if you want to have other people joining you, you're going to have to play the game for the for the for the person who is most machmir. And if your ki- your kids or your your sons-in-law, daughters-in-law, whatever it is, are not going to have kenedlach, then forget about the kenedlach. Get the grandchildren. <laughs> that's that's a better deal. Did somebody call in? Yeah. They're just listening. Oh, you're just listening. Okay. Now, let's go over uh, the, one of the biggest. We mentioned Lord, uh, I just have some text for you. Oh, I didn't see anything here. Okay. Uh, let me try to get it if I can. Go ahead. What? I see something. Okay. Oh, they're all asking other things. I only see uh, one. Fresh, uh, I, Brussels sprouts, is, I can't... Uh, Discuss it over here on the radio because it's an involved process. Brussels sprouts is not easy at all. Uh, it's not easy to check. And again, that I always recommend the people to get Rabbi Vaya's book, uh, Ramosha Vaya's book, which is, uh, I probably sold more copies than anybody else, uh, through, <laughs> through telling everybody to buy it. Uh, it's called, uh, it's called Bedikas Hamazon. It's in English. And, uh, somebody told me it's out of print, but I don't believe that. You go and scrounge around, you'll get a safer. And if you have a real problem, get to me. I, I think I'll be able to get, get some sperm. I don't know where they are now, but I'm sure that there are people that, that do have them. The, uh, if you have a difficulty in the, in the bookstore, you can contact Feldheim. Feldheim Publishers in, um, Spring Valley, New York. Feldheim is the distributor for that particular book. Um, I don't have a, another shortcut right now. I could tell you over the radio, but if you do have a difficulty, you could contact our office. Our office number is 718-336-8544. I've had people ask me recently, and I'm looking into uh, where we can get a few more books for them. So if you need the pro- one, let us know. But I can't do it now. You can call me at the office if you want, 718-336-8544. I could discuss it more about the Brussels sprouts then. Okay. Um, the next question is the, is, is, is a question of, uh, hair covering, which we actually discussed a little bit. Uh, it's very interesting how he puts it together. It says that the, um, you know, 
most of the Ashkenaz world does wear the shaitel. And a lot of this, you know, the, some of the Hasidish and, and, and the Sephardish world is worried about, as we discussed before, about, about it looking too good, that the, the, the hair. And even in the Ashkenaz world, you should know there's, there's a lot of splits on this. Um, some people I know are makbid not to have human hair shaitlich. Not because, not, I don't know if it's even a question about the Abodazar thing. I think it's, it's, could be just that they don't want it to look too good or something. Uh, but it was very funny because I saw an ad for these, uh, uh, synthetic wigs and the synthetic wigs were trying to beef it up and say that they're, they're, I, I say that they're sort of like the regular ones, like the, like the, I'm sorry, the, the human hair ones. So it, it, obviously everybody's trying to have it look good. It's a, it's obviously a, a, a difficult area because you want it to look good, but you don't want it to look like it's your own natural hair, but you want the color to be the same, but you want people to know there's a difference, but you don't want them to really know what's a difference. So it's a, it's a very, very uh, a, a difficult topic. What I heard discussed, which, I know it's not going to be interesting to some of my listeners, but they're not going to like what I'm going to say. But this is a conversation that I didn't hear it, but I heard it reported. It seems that there was a meeting at the Aguda Convention maybe 10, 15 years ago. Well, it was a good bunch of years ago. There was an Aguda Convention. There was a meeting at one of the, one of the things at the convention, not the main speaker, and they were talking about what a shaitel in, in the United States should be. It seems that the Europeans were able to draw the line, a tighter line than we have here in America. And they were discussing certain kinds of shaitel. I really would prefer not to mention the details. I think all the women will know, and I don't think I should discuss it with the men. So we'll keep it that way. But there are certain kinds of shaitlach that look very, very. Those are the ones that the uh, that, that the rabbanim had said are usher. They said regular shaitlach were okay, but the ones that look very, very—I don't mean very, very much like your hair—but very, very. There are different styles. They're obviously trying to attract uh, too much attention. And and in and, and, and that was considered to be too, just too much, and the rabbanim in America said, "We can't tell them that." So that's something that um, you know everyone should really think about about how how far it should be separate from everybody else's. I'm not going to get lost in that, but here's another area which I think that we could all think about, and this really applies to everybody about tshuva. And maybe all of us are Bali Chuv. <laughs> I spoke to somebody yesterday, and uh, he's a, a mashkiach in a yeshiva, not in the kitchen, in the base madrash. <laughs> and he said to me, uh, I was talking about uh, yeshivas that are for children who are, who are uh, uh, you know, who are at risk. And he said to me, no, all of us are at risk. It's that, and that's the reality. The Mishnah Perkayava says that you should alta dinas chaver. You know, alta A person doesn't know what he's going to be like in the end of his days. So 
don't be so haughty. You know, we all have to be concerned about ourselves. So that's uh, a that's a big challenge. So about Shuva, he says about Shuva, a woman normally f- follows the husband's customs when the husband is about Shuva from an irreligious family, but his wife is from a religious family. <laughs> so the husband should follow the practices of his wife's family. And he quotes Beis Yitzchak. And, uh, which I think is an interesting concept. Should, uh, should there be, uh, should it be that? I don't say that's, that's the halacha. I'm saying that that's an idea. That obviously, in a woman has a strong backing, uh, maybe the, maybe she should, the, the about Jewish expect. That's only, of course, if he doesn't have a clear custom. But if he's already been about Jewish for five years, or ten years, or twenty years, and he's doing things a certain way, that's him! But if you're talking about he's real raw, he came out as maybe two, three years from, or I don't know if we trust a guy like that. But if let's say he's two, three, he's five years from, whatever, and he doesn't, he never really thought some of the things out. Okay, so if he wants to take the father-in-law's minhag, it's beautiful. But, but he doesn't have to be forced into it. I mean, really it is his choice, and he has Rabbanim, and he's supposed to be learning Torah, and he's supposed to be setting the pace in the family. And even if you have to let him do it, it takes a little time until he does it, this girl from the from home should really try to work with him and not uh, usurp his, his, his responsibility, you know. Um, the next thing comes up is the base Yosef meets. That's interesting. The Svadim are very mockpit on base Yosef. And uh, some say that in Eretz Israel, uh, a woman must eat base Yosef meat, even if she married an Ashkenazi, which I don't think that they all mock pin on it to that extent. Uh, but in America, uh, it, it's a little bit of a, an issue uh, because we're, the base Yosef is, is becoming more and more popular, like black kosher became more and more popular, and now it's the it's the way. Maybe Beis Yosef will become the way, but right now it's not the way, and any glad kosher is kosher, and uh, this is a little bit of a look at the minhagim. We haven't gotten any calls, so I'm going to share with you something of a different nature. Again, I want to remind everybody that if you have a husband or a son or somebody you know who might benefit from the shirim, it's now 640-something, and uh, in just about uh, in less than two hours, I'm starting a new program, Hilchas Basa Bechalov, the laws of Basa Bechalov, and uh, preparing for smicha. There are people who are going to be joining us who will be taking smicha. Many of them don't take smicha. That's your choice. And uh, obviously, uh, there's no charges for the shiurim. And everybody's welcome. It's at 1114 Avenue O. Only men, 1114 Avenue O. That's between East 12th Street and Coney Island Avenue, starting tonight, every Monday night, from 8.30 to 9.45. And uh, if that night doesn't work for somebody, uh, you have a choice of Sunday uh, and Wednesday and Thursday. All four are separate programs. So Monday, Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, or Thursday. But tonight is a new program, and it's, it's the beginning of everything. So we're really starting from the beginning, and it's, it's good to get in in the beginning. The program for Smicha usually takes about two years. Uh, hopefully we'll finish up Basa B'cholov in two years or less, maybe a year and a half. I'm not sure exactly. Depends how fast we go. And then uh, we also have a Taruvas and Malicha 
And if the people stick with us till Malicha, Taruba sometimes as far as they want to go. But uh, we we have uh, three different programs doing Tarubas right now. So any questions you have, you could call us, 718-336-8544. Give me about 20 minutes to get home. And then uh, <laughs> you could uh, call there and we'll try to help you understanding about what it is. And you can join us at 830. Okay. Um, so I have a different topic here. And that's something I just saw the other day, which I thought was very cute. Uh, there's a uh, a little thing that's put out. You see it in the shuls. It comes out. It's free. It's called Business in Halacha. Uh, they have a um, a kolel from the uh, and uh, the uh, it's the Business Halacha Institute, and the Rebbe Mayer Orlean wrote this piece, which I thought was very cute. I'll read it to you. We have enough time for it. For years, Mrs. Lieber had been buying super kosher kitchens, chickens. Don't look for them in the store. That's a made-up name. Super kosher chickens. It's a good name, but you, if you want, you can take the name because it's not copywritten, <laughs> not trademarked yet. The quality was good. The kosher supervision was reliable. And the price was very reasonable. What could be wrong? This past Shabbos, Mrs. Lieber decided to roast the chicken whole. Now we see what's happening. She put it in a roaster and popped it in the oven. She checked it before Shabbos. Looks perfect, she declared. Can't wait to taste it. Ah, On Friday night, Mrs. Lieber opened the roaster. She took out the carving knife and began to cut the chicken into quarters. Something strange, she said. The inside isn't cleaned out properly. In the hollow of the chicken were different organs. This looks like the liver, Mrs. Lieber exclaimed. And this looks like the heart, she called over her husband. Mr. Lieber looked at the pieces. I'm afraid you're right, he said. The chicken was salted and then roasted with the liver and the heart still intact inside. We can't eat the chicken. It's trafe. Because it has blood in it. It's trafe. Can't eat it. How can the store sell such chicken, she asked. There must have been a, a fluke in the production line, Mr. Lieber said. These cases are rare, but, but they can happen. I can handle the lost chicken. We have enough other food, said Mrs. Lieber. I, I'm worried mostly about the roaster. It's, an expen- it's expensive and difficult to replace. From what I learned, whether the roaster became trafe and whether it could be kashered, Depends on a few factors, Mr. Lieber said. Among them uh, was the chicken, uh, uh, whether the chicken was roasted with liquid, whether there was more than one chicken in the roaster at that time, what the roaster was made from. I'll have to ask the rabbi about it. And now Mrs. Lieber said, the store should reimburse us for the chicken, also the roaster, if it can't be kashered. There's a shir tonight with Rabbi Dayan. That's the fake name that they use for this, these stories that uh, Rabbi Orlean writes. There's a shir tonight with Rabbi Dayan. Dayan, said Mr. Lieber. I can ask him that. After the shir, Mr. Lieber approached Rabbi Dayan and related what happened. Is a store liable for the chicken and the roaster if it can't be costered, he asked. The store owes you a refund for the chicken. Answered Rabbi Dayan, 
However, it's not liable for the roaster. Why is that? Mr. Lee asked. An improperly salted chicken is defective merchandise, explained Rabbi Dayan. You were sold something unkosher. So the store owes you a refund. It's a Choshen Mishpat, Reish Lamed Base, Sif Yudalef. It's not really their fault, though, that the chicken was defective, Mr. Lieber said. It's the slaughterhouse's fault. Well, that's, you know, sometimes it's the same people, but we'll assume it's not the same people. Even so, since the store sold you the chicken, they're liable, said Rabbi Dayan. They have a claim in turn to the supplier of the chicken. There are more in Choshen Mishpat, in the uh, Reish Lamed Base, Yud Ches says that uh, you know it's a it's a it's a pecking order. You go to the store, and the store goes to the um, supply to the, the to the Schlacht House. If so, why isn't the store responsible to pay me for my roaster? They cause it to become treif. So Rabbi Dayan answered, "That damage is grumma; it's indirect." for which one is not halakhically liable. For example, someone who sold seeds that turned out defective doesn't have to pay the customer for the incurred labor costs in, in planting them in the ground. When the damage was in, uh, unintentional, as like over here, there isn't even a moral obligation. And he sends you over to the SMA. Whatever, furthermore, the damage is not necessarily related to them. Since sometimes the roaster does not become treif, or it can be kashered. Rabbi Dayan added, in addition, some people use disposable aluminum roasters, and the chicken could have been cut before cooking, and you might not have you might have seen the the problem then. So you can't blame the store for this thing that the the roaster was destroyed. However, the, however, if the seller knew the merchandise was defective and that the buyer would incur additional costs, many say that he's liable as a garmi. He directly caused the damage. So Rabbi Dayan said, for example, someone sold merchandise knowing the buyer would transport it. If the seller knew the merchandise was defective, and they sold it to him anyway, he's liable for the wasted transportation costs. If the seller was not aware that it was defective, though, He's not liable for the additional cost, as we mentioned. I bring you that story because, uh, first of all, I saw it today. But I think the reason I really wanted to bring you that story is because we we do have this problem. Chas v'shalom, but sometimes you know that there are issues. And uh, I spoke to them. I'm speaking to Mashkichim. I'm doing a lot of Mashkichim now because we're doing the uh, Mashkich of the Year Award in two weeks, and I'm, I'm doing the final uh, <laughs> the final round here before we give out the award. And I hear a lot of stories, and sometimes errors do occur at the plant, and the Ashkacha uh, made a mistake. Some things do get out, and you know, when the things printed in the magazine, sometimes it's the fault of Ashkacha. I mean, many times it's not their fault, but a lot of times it is. And they sold you food that's not kosher. 
So that's they, they it could be a, a fruit company sold food that's not kosher, it could be goisha company sold food that's not kosher, has the has the rabbi's symbol on it, and it really was it went out and then and, and sometimes the rabbis uh the mashkichim were at fault, sometimes the hashkoch was at fault, sometimes the goyim were at fault and the and the rabbi couldn't catch it because it was hidden. But sometimes there is fault. And technically we do have recourse to the ones who sold it to us. To the store that sold it to us. If you're buying something that's trade from a store and you use it in your, on a kalim and you have to throw out those kalim, oh yes, you do have recourse on some level, at least for the food that you bought, you have recourse. And, uh, sometimes you do have recourse for some things that are sold that, 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 that maybe shouldn't be sold. So you, yes, it's, it's definitely worth looking into. Hopefully you don't have any roaster situations. We don't have any trade for chickens like that. But I'll tell you something that happened, uh, quite a while, and that was that so, that people didn't realize it. It wasn't this fault of anybody, really. It was just ignorance that they used to sell. I, I don't know if they still do. Empire Chickens used to sell um, the uh, the uh, little packets of liver together with the chicken. So they had a, a, a plastic pack of, of liver, and they put it in the in the box together with the chicken. And, and you buy it and you would uh, take the liver out and broil it and uh, your chicken, you do whatever you uh, do with it. And many people, many people cooked the chicken with the liver inside and then we realized it and had to throw out the chicken and call their rabbi and discuss about the different kalim that they used. Oh yes, this, this definitely happens. And the question is, is, is there guilt there? So I don't know if there's any guilt in that case. I would assume there's no guilt because a person opens up a package, supposed to look and see what's inside. And even though it may have been stuck inside the chicken, if they're selling it every week with the, with the liver in the box, uh, people should get the, get the gist of it. They should be able to figure it out. We mentioned on the radio a scary story that, uh, there's one, one town where they, uh, the liver had not been trabered and there was, there was chalav on it and nobody in the town knew that. Unfortunately, they had a kasha, all the kalim in that town. It was an embarrassment to the hashkacha. And, and in that case, I, I, I would say that there's some, some kind of liability that may exist, although I think most people would be Michael and say that they, you know, it was an innocent mistake. Uh, but, uh, we do expect our people to be more prepared and not chas v'shon to allow treif to go through the system. Well, our show is just about over, and I just want to remind everybody, if anybody has the opportunity uh, to come learn, or any men want to come learn tonight, Hilchus Basa B'cholov, we're starting a new machzor, of Basa B'cholov Tarubis, and it's starting tonight at 8.30. It's now just about 7, and an hour and a half, Yimitz Hashem, 1114 Avenue O, that's Evrechem, 1114 Avenue O, between East 12th, and Coney Island Avenue, and there also are MP3s available. If you want to come and join us or you want to try to get the MP3s, it's 718-336-8544, 718-336-8544, or join us tonight at 1114 Avenue O, uh, between East 12th and, and Coney Island, and the hours 8.30 to 9.45 with Marev at 9.45. And if anybody's interested in getting Kashrus magazine or learning more about what our magazine has inside and about the Kosher Supervision Guide, the Kosher Travel Guide, or any of our other products, you can reach us at 
336-8544. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Cautious Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week.